the book of Matthew. In the back, uh, they're going to be working on the sound with me. So if it starts to sound fuzzy or whatever, um, I apologize for that. Hopefully we can get that figured out. So next week we'll will be a little bit better. But if you're in the book of Matthew, you can turn to chapter 19. Thank you for allowing me the privilege of going on vacation. I am ready to preach. Hopefully you guys are ready to have me back. Um, but uh, we're going to talk about something that can be difficult to talk about. And so I just want to be really sensitive to that. As well as uh, not sugarcoat uh, what God's word says for you. And so I want to start by telling you, I will never forget my wedding day. Now, my wife is not in here right now. She's in the nursery, and I would love to embarrass her and see how red her face gets. Um, but that's unfortunate that she's not able to be here. But I know for me, I will never forget our wedding day. I will always remember when she came in through those back doors, not here. This was in Kalamazoo when we were married. But she came in through those back doors, and I broke down. Um, just I thought her beauty was absolutely ravaging, and uh, I knew that I was a lucky guy to be able to connect my life to hers. And of course, this is what we said, something like this. In the name of God, I, John, take you, Elisa, to be my wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, forsaking all others for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and cherish until we are parted by death. This is my solemn vow. Now, because she's in the nursery, I can safely say this. I couldn't find my vows. We wrote our own vows, too, but all of you are familiar with this one, okay? And we did say something like this. We did both the tradish as well as our own. Yes, I just said tradish. Deal with it. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, for some of you guys, there is a wedding day that maybe you don't look fondly on because perhaps the wedding day was also followed thereafter by a divorce. And so I want to talk for a little bit as we get back, as I get back from vacation, where I'm left right at this spot where uh, Jesus is going to talk about divorce. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. And I wanted to make sure that I dealt with that when I got back from vacation instead of dropping something in your lap and then, and then leaving. Maybe I should have so Steve and Matt could deal with that instead. Maybe I, that's a better way to do that. But the fact of the matter is someone has commented that couples are married for better or worse, but not for very long. And so in our culture today, as well as back then, this is both important as well as controversial. And so I want for you to understand today that if you have been in a divorce, that you're not alone, and that what I'm about to say, I hope, ends in immense encouragement for you this morning. Because the fact of the matter is, in a room this size, I'm willing, I'm willing to bet that all of us in some way has been affected by divorce, whether it's us personally, or a brother or sister, or fathers and mothers, somebody in our family has probably been affected by divorce. And so what we're going to look at this morning is that Jesus is going to confront some of the wrong teachings of that day, some of the misunderstandings and the means of God's law. And what we're going to look at in Matthew 19 this morning, as just as in the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus uh, is going to clarify for us both what it means to actually keeping the law, not only the letter, but the heart of the law, which is where he always goes. See, the fact of the matter is that the law allows and does still allow for divorce. And some of these pious Jews, they wanted to make sure that they could take wholeheartedly part of that provision. And I, my fear is, is that in a culture that we have today, where you can actually go online to a website 
and get divorced right online. You never even have to leave the comfort of your living room. I think that this is something that is both ravaging our culture as well as the church, and so it's imperative that we talk about it this morning. So I want to talk to you about four basic things that Scripture is going to teach about, that Jesus is going to teach about, and then, uh, because some of us are shy, and we, we, we all, I think if we're honest, at least if, if, you, if you ask your wife, they'll tell you that we need marriage counseling, right? But we don't always want to go and do that. And so rest assured, guys, uh, I'm going to bring it to you for the next couple weeks, I think. And so God willing, we'll talk about not only relationship killers, uh, but the things that really build life into relationships. But today, we have to talk about divorce. And so if you will, please pray with me before we get into God's word. God, our Father in heaven, it is my prayer that although this is a weighty topic, Although some will be offended, that all of us would be leaving encouraged. That as we look to your word, instead of raging against it, rather we will humbly accept it as your word. And that wherever this pitiful pastor fails, that your grace and your mercy will triumph all the more. God, we do pray as the church that divorce would be, instead of sought out by many, rather it would be seen as a desperate last resort. And that we as the church might, instead of judging others who may have been afflicted by this, instead of that, rather, God, that you would put into us, all of us, hearts that would desire to see restoration and glorification and redemption of all of these situations. And we ask that because we know that you are a God full of love and grace, as well as a God of holy, righteous standards. And so it's in your name that we come to you this morning. We ask this. Amen. So the first thing I want to talk to you about, or the first rule or topic or whatever, is this. Are you clicking back there or is that me? God created marriage. Look with me in Matthew 19, 3 through 6. Uh, as we open up Matthew, uh, it talks about how he's going and he's healing people and stuff. And then, and then it says, the Pharisees, or some Pharisees, depending on the translation you use. Um, by the way, hopefully you actually turn to Matthew because it's not going to be up here. Uh, I just wanted to give you guys the practice of opening your Bibles this morning. And so uh, Matthew 19, 3 says, And the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And I think that shows their heart right there, doesn't it? Is it lawful to divorce your wife for anything? If she burns your grits in the morning, can you divorce her? Right? Well, the fact of the matter is, is that God created marriage. What that means is that God has defined marriage and that he has defined it as a covenant. If you continue to look there, you can see that their hearts, these Pharisees came to him. And the reason they come to Jesus, just like today, like every other day, is really, they, they don't really want Jesus to expand on this. What they really want to do is find a way to trip Jesus up. But oh, woe to man who would think that they could go toe-to-toe with God and come out the winner. Uh, the Pharisees are taught a valuable lesson, I hope, a lesson that we can learn this morning too. So marriage is defined by God in Matthew 4 through 5. Jesus gives the answer, the beginning of his answer. Have you read 
that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female. Now pause there for just a minute. That statement alone is controversial in our day today. And if you are offended by the fact that Jesus and God established marriage as between the, the one union between a husband and a wife, meaning legitimate gender of male and female, in that union, then I want to lovingly come to you and say, I, I'm not sure that you understand the biblical definition of marriage. But the fact is, is that uh, Jesus has defined marriage as this union. And our culture wants to rage against that. Our culture wants to teach something other than that. But the text says, have you not heard and read who created them from the beginning? So what Jesus does here is he actually goes back even earlier than the law of Moses that they're going to quote. Jesus goes back, like any good teacher or any good argument or any good debate, he goes back to the simplest form of the argument, right? And he goes back not to Moses, he goes all the way back to Genesis. In fact, this is a quote as we finish his saying there in 5, Genesis 2, 24. He says, therefore, and also he says, this is what God said. Have you not read? He who created them, set this up, he who created them also created this union. He says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. So boy, put the video games down and move out. Okay. To his two shall be one flesh. Now, you may have heard other sermons about this, so I don't want to spend a whole lot of time about this, but it's this idea of these two becoming one flesh. If you've ever seen a really good weld job, right? Or if you've ever dealt with superglue, there is a chemical bond in superglue. There is a physical bond in welding where they'll actually meld these two pieces of metal together. It's this idea of cleaving. There's all kinds of uh, pastors that have done a far better job than I am able to do, especially with today and the topic that we're dealing with about talking about marriage. I suggest that you uh, look some of them up. My favorites are people like Adrian Rogers or John Piper um, or John MacArthur. They've done great jobs on this. You can find more about that. But the fact of the matter is, is the very nature of who they are is changed by marriage. That they become one and no longer are two. This is one of those strange math problems in Scripture, right? Like, uh, how can God be three and one? I don't know, it's a strange math problem, and I also don't know how two people can then also become one. That's a strange math problem that's only done by this relationship under the covenant of marriage, which is defined by God. And so he goes all the way back to Genesis in fact, if you are familiar with the book of Genesis, you will see that the only thing out of all God's creation that he said is not good is for man to be alone. And so he rectifies that with Eve. And not only that, but science, if you are a believer in science, science tells us that it is only through a male and a female that when they come together that we can even propagate the species. Unless there are pod people here this morning, please raise your hand. I didn't think so. But also, uh, Jesus goes on to say and to prove from Genesis that this is a covenant. In verse 6, then, uh, he says, again, so they are no longer two but one flesh. What, therefore, God has joined together, this is where this covenanting together, what he has melded, what he has meshed together, let not man separate. Now, they're using the term man there both uh, societally, a judge or a 
position, but also just uh, individually. Remember what they came. He said, "Is it okay for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? He comes home and there's the laundry's not done. So should he walk out on her?" No, because they're one flesh now. In the New Testament, if you are aware or have heard other things or been to other marriage seminaries, then you're probably familiar with the book of Ephesians and how uh, Paul will then uh, expose more of this through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He talks about in Ephesians 5, 22 through 23, and uh, most wives don't like this section. Most husbands think that they like it until they review it more, but it goes like this. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And at this point, all the guys are like, yeah, and you don't tell elbow her yet because it says for the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church it goes on to say uh, that he should love her as Christ loves the church and it's only she is to sub- submit to you as one who is also placing himself under the authority of God and that's why you shouldn't elbow too quickly you would get enough money in your rooms as well But this marriage that was created by God is created, defined by God in Genesis and all throughout Scripture. It is also seen as a covenant of God that he has given to us. And you may be in a tough marriage right now, but marriage is still a gift of God. There you go. See, somebody's working on brownie points. You guys missed it. See... This is the illustration. We see that Eve was taken from the side of Adam so that he would have a partner fit for him. And it was not good for him to be alone until she came to him. And so the Christ, too, is born out... I'm sorry, so the church is born out of Christ. And church desires to lead, to serve the church, and it should be the church's desire to be led by Christ. So firstly, if God created marriage, then probably the second one is, well, then he hates divorce. And I know you would say to me, like you say to other people, hate is a strong word. Yes. But I wrote it. And I think scripture bears this out. So as we continue in in chapter 19, 7 through 9, he says there, so then they said to him, Why then did Moses command one to be given a certificate of divorce and send her away? You see, the practice back then was this. Aren't you glad that we have come a long way? Because the practice back then was that women had a type of ownership. I mean, they didn't have ownership. The men kind of like owned the women, I guess is what I was trying to say there. And so if they wanted a divorce, they could just send them away. And then the fact is, is they were destitute. They had no means of providing for themselves or any children that went with them. And so Moses, in his love for women, I know maybe if you talk to the wrong people, they'll say that it's just a misogynistic book. Well, because of his love and his care for women, he made this rule to say, no, 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 if you're going to divorce this woman, you have to give her a certificate so that she is then free to actually be remarried. You can't just make her homeless and send her out. And then there's all kinds of rules in the Old Testament, too, uh, about how this is to be done. Part of the reason for this and part of the the love and mercy and grace of this command was everybody can write these things. It's kind of like today where you need to be, what's it called, certified by somebody. uh, It's uh, somebody who's in the courtroom or something or whatever, certified. Uh, You you, you had to be of this 
uh, persuasion to be able to certify these things. And the hope for Moses was sometime in there, she'll learn to cook better grits, right? Or he'll be a better husband and they won't need to be this divorce, right? And so they asked this question. So then if, if this is the case, Jesus, if this is what you say, then why did Moses say something else? And Jesus answers the question in eight. And he says, because of your hardness of heart. And he also clarifies, he, he didn't say Moses commanded this. He said, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, this was not meant to be so. And then Jesus does what Jesus does best, and he puts himself in the position of authority of God, which he is, both fully human, fully God. And he says, and I say to you, which reminds me of the Sermon on the Mount. I hope it does you, right? You have heard it was said, but I say to you. And so he is claiming deistic rule over what he's about to pronounce. And he says, as I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And so as you see on the screen in front of you, my, the reason God hates divorce is because divorce is always a result of sin. And the act of divorce is almost always sinful. Now, if you're here this morning and you went through the, the pain of a divorce, I'm not saying that you are cut out of the kingdom by any means. What I'm saying is divorce wouldn't happen if it wasn't for sin. And I think everybody, regardless of your situation, you can agree with that. Because the fact of the matter is, when my wife and I fight, it's because we're sinning. We're sinning against each other. I'm sinning against her and I'm sinning against God. Because I'm not loving her the way Christ loves the church. Or when she fights with me, she's sinning against me and she's sinning against God because she's not respecting her husband and submitting to him as one who is supposed to be submitting to Christ. And so the fact of the matter is, if that is not left unchecked, if that is not left dealt with, it is like any kind of cancer. It continues to grow, it continues to fester, and eventually the only way to cure that maybe is to cut it out, or so we think so. And this is where I'm going to start to, I hope, bring hope and say this, that Although all of this is, is the case, what I'm, what I'm talking about today, it's right in God's word. It is my hope that you will see the church as a hospital. I want you to look around just for a minute. Now, I want you to truly take in the amount of people who are here. And, and, and here's the challenge that I have for you who are looking and also you who are being looked at. Love acts. This should be a place where people can come and can share that they're having trouble in their marriage and you should help them work through it. You should be their biggest cheerleader and their biggest defender in whatever might be biblically appropriate. Side note. As we're going to talk about, there's, there's two biblical reasons for divorce. It does not say that abuse is one of them. However, speaking on behalf of the leadership here at Algon Bible Church, if abuse is going on, let us know. I can do prison ministry too. Okay? We'll take care of it. Anyway, um, divorce is always a result of sin, and divorce is almost always sinful. 
He says, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed for you to divorce your wives. But in the beginning, it wasn't supposed to be so. He's referring back now to the law. He's referring to Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4. So if you're a note taker, you can write that down. This is where this section is. Um, But it's because of our sin. It's because of our hardness of heart. It's because of our lack of a desire to actually work through things. It's because of our pride that says, no, the problem is not me. The problem's them. That the problem's all them. And if they would just change, then everything would work out for the better. But the fact is, is that we have something to do with it too. And divorce is almost always sinful because in in the church, did did you know that statistics tell us uh, one out of 1.8, so almost one in two marriages are going to end in divorce, and that's the same statistic that it is in the church? Not all marriages are ending because of abandonment and because of adultery. Most are ending just because people say, well, I've fallen out of love with you, or we have unreconcilable differences. Well, not only did God create marriage and then so therefore hate divorce, God also regulates divorce. And that's what I mean by biblical reasons for divorce. So hope none of you are coming here this morning and thinking to yourself, yes, pastor's finally going to give me the loophole I've been looking for. Did you not just listen to what I said? It is never my counsel for you to get a divorce. I would, I would much rather spend years counseling you in your marriage and see you reconciled than to counsel you to be divorced. But God does regulate divorce. He gives biblical grounds for divorce. And he also gives biblical grounds for remarriage. So the first thing, the biblical grounds of divorce, as I mentioned in Deuteronomy uh, 24, 1 through 4, he talks about this, about giving this certificate. In here, he defines that as that was only because of the hardness of heart and the real reason for divorce are twofold. And I get one here and I get another one in Corinthians. And so if you stay here in Matthew verse 9, and by the way, this is the only one mentioned by Jesus. I'm not saying the other one is illegitimate. It's in scripture. Scripture is authoritative and inspired and God breathes. So But Matthew 9, 19, he says, and also in Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says specifically, you should not be divorced except for sexual immorality. Now, the word here is this idea of porneia. It's the word that we get porn from. Now, that doesn't mean that it's okay to get divorced just because your husband or your wife is engaging in viewing pornography. However, I do believe that that is obviously an issue that needs to be addressed it needs to be dealt with in the marriage. But what they're talking about here is this idea of actual adultery. And in the, in the Old Testament, adultery was, you, you were stoned. You had to bring proof that that happened, and then both parties were stoned, both the man and the woman. And so God takes sexual sin very seriously. And in our culture today, we don't. And I think in our marriages, we don't. But God defines biblical divorce as if committed adultery against. And even then, even then, he says divorce happens because of the hardness of heart. So I'm going to touch on something that might be very tender for somebody in this room. And if that's the case, then please understand that this is only out of love and Your pastor trying to be true to the text, it really has nothing to do with you, so please don't be offended by it. I also understand that what I'm about to say is coming from a place of not having gone through it, and so I am ignorant of some of the pain and the hardships that this might bring. 
But just because this is a potential biblical reason for divorce does not mean you have to pursue divorce. If your spouse has committed adultery, has, has went outside of the marriage bed, whether, whether it's a pornography addiction and that, or whether it's physical outside of the marriage, you don't have to get divorced. That's not mandated. It is allowed, yes. But I would still say, as Jesus does, I think, even that would still be because of the hardness of our heart, the lack of forgiveness that we might have towards somebody. And again, I'm speaking from somebody who has not went through that. I pray that I never will. And if that's you, if you have been stepped out on and hurt, then I am sorry. And my heart grieves for you. Because scripture tells us that when one member of the body is grieved, that we all are grieved. But just because it's an allotment for divorce doesn't mean that it's absolutely necessary. And I would also venture to say that in this room, you may have other brothers or sisters in Christ who have experienced that and by God's grace have been able to forgive, who have been able to repent, who have been able to reconcile. And if you can't find that in this room, then come and talk to me and I can point you to couples who I know in other churches, other brothers and sisters in Christ who have that testimony. But God regulates divorce and he says, because of this covenant of the one flesh union, it is then broken when you break that one flesh union. Paul talks about that. And so he, he asks us to be on guard for our our purity of sexual intimacy because he says it is as if you are becoming a one flesh union with a prostitute. Read Proverbs where it talks about the adulterous woman and how her, her mouth is an open grave, how she seduces this idiot of a man who shouldn't be out there in the first place and he's walking by this place and then he falls into the snare and it says and he, she drags him down to the pit of Sheol. It talks about how, how people who engage in adultery destroy themselves. God's grace in his gospel is sufficient to bring healing and restoration even of that. Amen. Another place that scripture talks about is abandonment. 1 Corinthians 7.15. If you want to make a note, you can do that. You can turn there if you want. I'm going to read it real quickly and we're going to get back to Matthew. So keep a finger there. But If the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. In this room, there may be somebody who's experienced that too. And if you can't find somebody in this room, again, come to me and I can point you to a brother or sister. Who, in fact, I just talked with recently. Because I was studying this text and I thought, I need to call them. And I need to encourage them, and I need to pray with and for them. And so the biblical grounds for divorce are adultery or abandonment, but there's also biblical grounds for remarriage. I think this is where we as Christians often stumble the most. So as it says in Scripture, this is really only for those who are offended and only after a biblical divorce. Otherwise, 
singleness is the prescription that Christ gives. And in the conversation that I had with that individual this week, that was something that they were struggling with. I don't want to be single. And yet it appears that God has at least at this stage in my life called me to singleness by the abandonment of my spouse. But according to Scripture, it says here in Matthew um, 9, 9 again, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. In 1 Corinthians 7.15, but if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. And so I want to talk about, in just a minute, the glory of singleness. I don't think churches do that enough. I think oftentimes people can come to church and they can think, this is only a place for married people. And it's only a place for people who have good marriages. To which I would say, stick around for a while and talk to more people and you'll understand that everybody's in the same boat. This is a hospital for people who are broken. Not everybody who comes and smiles at you on Sunday has a good marriage. And that's okay. Because God is about the business of growing us right where we're at. But the glory of singleness is this. Um, you can do more for the kingdom than somebody who's married. Paul talks about that. Paul actually, in Corinthians, after the section, so if you're in Corinthians, you can read this or you can just take note, that's fine. In chapter 7, he goes on about this. In 7.2, he says, um, because of the temptation of sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. But um, I wish that you were as I, he goes on in 7 through 9. I wish that you were all as I myself in. Paul was single. Each one has his own gift from God, one of one kind, one of another. To the unmarried and to the widows, I say it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. He goes on. Um, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him or her, of course, right? And to which God has called him or her. This is my rule in all the churches. And so I think oftentimes if you're here and you're single, and especially if you're here today and you're single because of a divorce, there's glory in singleness. You can do more for the kingdom because you do not have the same responsibilities and things that married people have. Now, because of what Jesus said, and remember, some of you are going to be upset with me, and I hope that that's not the case, um, because remember who it is who's saying this. You're not alone. This is difficult. Look back at Matthew, his own disciples. This is what they say. If such is the case with a man and his wife, it's better not to marry. You see, there was broken homes back then too. I'm sure if Peter's dad was anything like Peter, there was fights in that marriage all the time because Peter's, Peter Sr. probably put his foot in his mouth all the time, just like Peter Jr., right? Remember James and John, the sons of thunder? Why did they call him thunder? You ever think about that? Probably a loud, obnoxious guy. You think that was easy to live with? Even in Jesus' family, Joseph was thinking about... Uh, not quite divorced, but putting away Mary when he found out that she was present, uh, pregnant, right? And then all throughout Jesus' life, he was looked at as an illegitimately fathered child. I forgot where I was. We're just going to keep going. Uh, this, is, this is where I want to end anyway, is, is this. 
Um, God redeems divorce. So if you're here this morning and you have a friend or family member that has been through the pain of divorce, or if you yourself have been through divorce, I, I want you to leave by hearing this. God can redeem that. Divorce does not excommunicate you from the kingdom. Divorce is caused by sin, always, and is often sinful. However, like I said before, the grace of God and the blood of Christ Jesus covers a multitude of sins. In fact, he says that if you confess your sins, he is both faithful and just to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And so God even redeems divorce. Undoubtedly, this subject brings up old and new wounds, and for that I am sorry. These are tough words to preach, and they're tough words to hear. But here's the reason God is serious in his word about marriage and covenants and divorce. Because he is serious about his marriage to you. That in Christ, when you are connected to God, he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will never abandon you. In fact, he continuously pursues you even when in our hearts we play the harlot to our false gods and our own self of self-righteous pride. He shows us that in the Old Testament with Israel. And if you're honest, he's showed you that in your own life. That God redeems divorce even in your current marriage if you have been remarried. That you can still experience God's blessing of a God-honoring and glorifying marriage right now. And so to the married, to the husbands, I would say love your wives with a sacrificial love and take responsibility for the glory of Christ in your home. To the wives, I would say honor Christ in building up your husband as a spiritual leader. For those who are here and who may even be considering divorce, I would say, remember the power of the gospel. Jesus raises the dead. He cleanses the leper. He makes whole those who are not. He gives sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf. There is nothing outside of his control. And if you and your spouse are willing to wholeheartedly commit to Christ, your marriage not only can be saved, and I know this is going to be hard for you to believe this morning, but can be glorious in the power of Christ. For those who are divorced and who are single, I would say, if it was a biblical divorce, then rest in your singleness. Because that is the stage of life that you are in right now, and God sees that, and he grieves with you. And look forward to the possibility of remarriage, and in the next marriage, to the glory of Christ. If you are divorced and you're single, and it's because of an unbiblical marriage, then I would ask you to please repent. Repent of your sin. Whatever that might be in that role. Repent of your sin, both to God and to your former spouse, if you can. 
and then allow the gospel of Christ to give you hope to advance the gospel in your singleness and look forward to the marriage of you and Christ when he comes to receive his bride to himself. To those who have been divorced and who have now remarried, regardless of circumstances, I would say this. Repent and reflect. And what I mean by that is this. You are now in a new marriage, a new covenant. Honor God with it. Work at it. Good, God-honoring marriages don't happen by accident. Happy marriages are the results of commitment and love, mutual understanding, sacrifice, and hard work. Sometimes I joke with my wife, if you've ever been at a wedding reception, and it's only kind of a joke, if you've ever been at a wedding reception and they do that dance, I love this dance because I love to see this little old couple on the floor, usually it's an older couple, and then what they do is they say, hey, if you've been married five years, so everybody out on the dance floor, everybody who's married, if you've been married for five years, sit down. If the DJ is really on the, on the mark, he said, if you've been married for longer than a day, sit down, and then you've got the bride and groom, they have to get off first and everybody laughs and claps, right? And then, you know, five years, 10 years, whatever. And then you get to that place where then he's doing it by the year. Because if you've been married 54 years, sit down. No? Okay, 55 years. If you've been married 56 years, sit down. You've got those two couples that are battling out. And one got married in July and the other one got married in August. So bummer for the other one, right? I tell my wife, I want to be that couple someday. I want to be that couple that by God's grace, we can barely shuffle our way out onto the floor. Or perhaps I bring my walker and you hold one side and I'll hold the other. And we'll just sway in between our walker. But the fact of the matter, that only happens. That only happens when we give our marriage to Christ, when we allow Christ to be the center of it. And when we both, husbands and wives, submit to Christ all in as all the time and when we pray and lead one another. And so wherever you're at in your marriage, whether you've been divorced or whether you're considering divorce or whether you've been remarried or even in your singleness, understand that Christ wants to use you right where you are for his glory. And he can do that whether in remarriage or divorce or singleness. And that is the glory of the gospel. Let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, we do thank you that in your word, although we might feel sometimes like we are Mr. and Mrs. Wrong, that by your grace, you can make all things right. And so we pray that here at Allegan Bible Church and for all of those who are connected to these who are in attendance today, that this might be a hard word, yes, but also a word of encouragement, that you are in all of these things, that you are not unaware of our hurts and our burdens and our troubles. You are not unaware of our previous sin. And yet, by your grace in Christ, we can not only be forgiven, but you can actually redeem and use those things for your glory. Help us to submit to that. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's uh, stand and sing.